0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Battling with Business with me, Gareth Tennant. And me, Chris Kitchener. In this podcast, we explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders, and businesses tick. And this week, we're going to talk about a subject that I think we've referenced several times before, but I'd like to really deep dive into. And that's one of the negative sides of being in a position of authority. And that's the loneliness of command.
1: Well, it's interesting. You've, you've, you've said negatives. I, I actually, to be fair, I think we are going to talk about a lot of the downsides and maybe how you deal with it. But a negative indicates it's bad. I one of the things I want to talk about is is it normal? And and you you can tell I'm almost hinting where I think the idea that there's no such thing as loneliness of command. Well, we'll we'll get to that, whether that's true. I'm gonna start yeah. though, because I, I you know I can't resist saying things. So historically I always laugh at this point and say, Gareth, which exotic part of the world are you? And um I think it's fair to say you're still on one of your Canadian trips. And so therefore you are in, where are you this week, Sonny?
0: I'm in Ottawa.
1: Well, previously, I think I've been in a travel lodge in Birmingham and I'm going to see if I can beat you. I'm in a car park in Abingdon. (laughs) So just to, oh. to just to show how glamorous and romantic podcasting is, to try and find times when we can do this fitting in between our you know work lives, uh, I am currently hiding. I think it's safest to say in the corner of a car park. The glamour of podcasting, but en- enough of the glamorousness. Let's get back to loneliness of command. So come on, let's let's start by talking what we mean a bit by uh, loneliness of command, Gareth.
0: Yeah, well, I'm going to start with a quote. So this is from General Douglas MacArthur. A true leader has the confidence to stand alone, the courage to make tough decisions, and the compassion to listen to the needs of others. He does not set out to be a leader, but becomes one by the quality of his actions and the integrity of his intent. So there's something in there about being confident enough to go against the grain and to make difficult decisions. And, and Douglas MacArthur's sort of point there is that you are appointed to a command, you are managing capability, but you don't automatically become a leader until you start to behave like a leader. And I think there's a, an, we talked about whether it's negative or not. I think, I think loneliness of command is negative. Whether it's normal or not is something we can discuss. I I don't know, certainly you might disagree, but I don't know of any positive aspects of the loneliness of command. But I think it is an inevitability that if you are put in a position where you have to influence other people to achieve things, you are going to have to balance, and we've talked about Adair's balls before, you're going to have to balance the needs of the team, the needs of the individuals, and the need of the task and that means compromising and sacrificing which means sometimes you have to make decisions that are going to impact people in a negative way and as a result you're going to not become particularly popular and there's going to potentially build resentment and all the things you're asking people to do just may weigh heavy on your mind and I think there's an aspect of this that when we think of loneliness I think we tend to think of people being alone, being on their own physically. But of course, when you have the loneliness of command, you are still around the people that you lead. It's just that you are the person that holds the responsibility. And so there is nowhere else you can turn.
1: Loneliness, I don't think there's a positive aspect of it. And when I said about, is there a positive? I think you've kind of drawn some of the points I wanted to make out. So. The first thing about this is, while it is not positive, I think the first thing is it is a symptom of accountability. Yeah. If you are if you are accountable, accountability implies, for one of a better word, the the buck stops here, and therefore you are. There is no one else to say to tell you what to do. There is no one else to nod and say I agree as in that is the right answer the 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 thing that i think is and and positive maybe is the wrong word but the thing that is comforting is that if you are lonely uh, uh, what what you're feeling is the weight of accountability on your shoulders now i'm not implying people should be lonely in fact quite the opposite because as you the, the loneliness starts to affect you and i uh, there's there's a couple of experiences from my life one which was a very visceral experience as sort of the loneliness of command a little bit unusual and then one more generic one but it's it's not positive being yeah. feeling lonely or feeling that but the accountability is a really really important part of it as well and recognizing that recognizing that situation that you are the person who to take the accountability and that you do have to make the decisions that in itself isn't a bad thing in fact that is what leadership is all about I have experienced people who don't feel lonely because they they are quite happy they're making the right decisions. and therefore, why should they feel lonely?
0: Yeah, I think there's a there's a careful balance between stoicism where you don't allow things that are outside of your control to worry you or affect you too much. And then the arrogance of it's all fine because I know what I'm doing and I'm getting it right. I I wonder if where, and we'll we'll come on to sort of our own personal experiences of these things, but I wonder if the, the people that don't feel it are either the kind of people who are susceptible to arrogance and therefore very likely to be the kind of people that won't take advice, won't listen to the wider team and, or whether there's some sort of secret of being able to isolate the decision making and the effects on people from your personal emotions in a kind of stoic stoic way. Um, I find it personally very, very difficult to do that. Well, let's, let's go back. Cause you said you you've got a couple of examples from your experience. And I think we, we tend to on this podcast sort of talk a lot about theories and concepts and, And then occasionally we kind of tell stories. I think let's upfront talk about our experiences. So tell us more about your experience of loneliness of command.
1: This is a slightly unusual one because loneliness of command is more of a, to some degree, an everyday thing, arguably. This was, you'll hear what I mean by slightly unusual. So I had started at a business. uh, This is not my current business. I'd started a previous business. And after about a month, two months, uh, we went to a long term planning session. And in that planning session, it had all of the executive. And so, therefore, they're all the functional leaders. And so each of the functional leaders were representing their function about what we would do, not just for next year, but the next two years, the next five years. So I was already. I did not have my hands around the business. I did not fully understand the business. I didn't fully understand the product area, but immediately I felt exposed. And whether we use the word exposed or lonely, but I felt exposed. And so I was already feeling physically slightly stressed about this because people were going to be asking me questions or say, well, you're gonna do this, aren't you? And then there was this magical moment where at four four o'clock, we'd had a long day, And the external facilitator said, right, well, if we all wanna have a 10 minute break, when we come back, we're going to build out a quarter by quarter plan for the business, for the, the top streams that we think will lead us to the most successful profitability. And at that point, the facilitator turned around to the CEO and said, who is it who's leading these streams? And as it turned out, product was leading two of those streams. And so I said, fantastic. When we come back, Chris, if you'd like to lead us through the quarter by quarter plan for the next five years. And the blood ran from me. Now, as I say, this is a little bit unusual because that's not quite what you might imagine of it's the darkest of nights and people saying, sir, are we going to make it through tomorrow? Or is this the right plan? But at that moment, I felt very lonely. I was the only person there, it was not just that I felt exposed, but there was the fear of losing credibility. Yeah, And I think, there's, there's, I think this is one of those symptoms of the loneliness of command, which is people looked at me and said, well, you must know the answer because you are accountable for that area. And that was extraordinarily stressful. That that was my example. And by the way, in that particular case, we've, we've, we've talked about mental health in the past. I felt pretty unwell. That was, you know, I'm a senior professional and to be put in that position, that was very difficult. So that's not life and death. And in the end, I said, let's do it tomorrow. This idea of loneliness, even if you're not in the military frontline, I think can be absolutely visceral. And yeah. and literally it's it's that moment of there is no one to the left of you and no one to the right of you who can say, I've got this, I can help you. So the second one, which is a far more, and actually there's not there's no one example necessarily, but I, I've had multiple of these, which is um, and I think this one's very, very recognizable almost for everyone. So in in the world of software, when A customer has an issue, they will raise it with the business that supplies them software, and depending on the severity of the issue, it will either be noted, and someone will get to it, or some support people will say, we'll get right on this and we'll talk to our technicians or the product people, or it is terrible, and typically this is referred to as a P1. And even within P1s, there are sort of grades of this where um, I worked in a business where there were law firms involved, as in they used our software. If a law firm was unable to work or had lost data, that was catastrophic. And so literally we would get on the telephone with their most senior management and ask most senior management and deal with it. Now, the loneliness of command here is, is an interesting one because at that point I was surrounded by all the right people. I'd be surrounded by product people who are experts in the products by support people by engineers but loneliness of command was the sense that when that call came through and these people who were understandably very agitated this was the 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 security and safety of their business looked at me and said what are you going to do now everyone's looking at me going what are we going to do and it's that that interesting moment where, what do I do next? And so those, I think, are hopefully are two interesting examples, because one's kind of a very dramatic, unusual one. But this whole idea of a P1, whether you're in the military or not in the military, the, the loneliness of command at some point is almost inevitable when you are that accountable person. And obviously, as you get more senior, the accountability and the the, the, the implications are all the more important. So those those are two examples where I have viscerally felt, everyone is looking at me, I don't get to look at someone else, now what am I gonna go and do?
0: Yeah, I, I think that it's, it's interesting that there are, one of your examples is about a, a moment where you were put on the spot, uh, and the other one is a, um, Again, a, a change in a situation uh, and everybody looks at you and and you're feeling then the the burden or the responsibility of of having to know the right answer and know what to do, but also not show vulnerability, not show weakness. And I, I think a lot of this comes down to personal interpretations of what others expect of you. And the when we talk about what we can do about loneliness of command, I think a large part of this is to is to really reflect on how much of that is, is based in reality and how much of that is over-expectation of what other people are thinking.
1: And, and I, I want to d- dig in just a little bit more because I, I think you're absolutely right. So, I, I mean, in effect, what you're saying is it feels like everyone's looking at you and they're expecting you to lead. Actually, is that is that true in that way or actually are they saying we're ready to help you so the mm. word the word vulnerable the, you sort of that that you can't let people down and you 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 feel that you have to have the answer it's it's slightly more nuanced than that so actually being vulnerable can be an absolute strength for example the statement i don't know is actually if done correctly, a very strong statement. When a customer says, when are we going to be back online, saying, I don't know, I'm going to have to work with my team to
0: find out is actually very powerful and strong. Yeah. So I think there's an an interesting element in addition to that as well, which is there are sometimes times where you know the answer, but the answer is difficult, and it's very, very isolating because you're asking people to do things that are – either detrimental to them as individuals, um, and in a military context, of course, that's things like asking people to put themselves in harm's way, or you are telling people to do things that on the face of it, go against what you've uh, tried to sort of project as what you think is the right thing to do. And, and so I've got, I've got three examples of where I've faced this. And one is very similar to yours, and I've talked about it before. I think I talked about it when we had General um, John Creswell on. And I talked about that situation I was in in Norway as a very, very young troop commander, and I got lost. And I didn't want to expose the fact that I had got us lost and that I'd made this mistake because I thought my credibility as the leader would be completely undermined. And that was a very, very hard lesson in or overestimating other people's belief in me as the single person that can solve problems, which is a difficult lesson to learn because you you go into these things thinking that everybody looks up to me, everybody thinks I've got all the answers. And in reality, of course, as a young troop commander, they're mostly looking at you as some sort of young, wet-behind-the-ears buffoon. But at the time, you feel like you've got this Heavy responsibility. Well, I I mean,
1: you've 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 said something without saying it, which is, I mean, that that was my novelty in the business. That was the same thing. But what what you've also said is, when you have strong teams where you have built trust, and and I don't want to egg that too much because I think coming back to how you how you address this, but when you have strong teams where there is trust. Inevitably the risk of that loneliness of command diminishes. And, and to your yeah. point, a year later, if you'd have said, I don't know how to do X, someone would have said, it's "Right, boss, I've got it.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. You, you'd, yeah. You'd know. Yeah. But it was that moment where in the you know dark cold of the Arctic, I took one knee to sort of look at my map. And I genuinely had cold sweats. I had, you know, as you describe, you know, the blood rushes to your heart. And I, I I wanted the world to swallow me up. I wanted the ice underneath me to break and I wanted to disappear. It was such a visceral physical feeling. And I look back at it now, and you know, it's almost laughable because, as you say, no, you build things, but- you build this trust, and then you suddenly realize how naive you were. But I think until you've gone through that, it's really the the, the physiological effect, the, the self-induced stress is a really important thing because the important thing about this, of course, is you have to then recognise in others that they might be feeling like that. So you might have gone through this lesson. I look back now, you know, 20 years of being a commissioned officer in the Royal Marines and I, lo- I look back at my experiences and what I've learned, but I have to recognise that, For junior commanders, maybe junior NCOs or junior officers, they probably aren't quite as comfortable in these positions. And so things that I look at as relatively simple problems to solve, and I know that the team are, you know, willing and capable of solving them around them, you have to empathise with the fact that they might be in that situation where it feels huge to them the second story I want to talk about is, is slightly different in that this was a longer term problem in that on my first combat tour of Afghanistan, I was the troop commander, so I would receive my orders and we would go out and deliver you know, that mission, whatever that was. And every time there was an incredibly high risk that some of us were going to get badly injured or killed and and over the tour you know these things did happen like picking the person to be the lead patrolman the guy who's got the metal detector who's going to be looking for those pressure plates and and picking somebody from that troop of people and saying you're going to do this and then telling everybody that we're going to do this and knowing that we've got to somehow link team task individual we've been asked to do something we're here to you know complete a mission and then people asking questions about why and afghanistan was a really difficult situation for me because there was a disconnect between what we were asked to be doing day in day out and the long-term strategic sort of outlook for the country And, and, and with hindsight now we know that after 20 years of operations actually the the Taliban are now in control of the country and in effect all of our operations weren't anywhere near as effective or or some people could even argue you know it's a complete failure but at the time it felt like there was a disconnect it felt like we weren't getting towards that strategic goal and yet every day I was having to ask people to take risks and there was a troop sergeant there's a team around me but I felt like it was very difficult to justify the risks that I was asking people to take. And I had the same doubts that they had, but I had to reassure them. So I had to have that cognitive dissonance that where I would write home to you know my loved ones and say, I'm not sure why we're doing this and I'm not sure that we're being effective. I could never tell my troops that. And that made me feel deeply uncomfortable when I was saying to them, you know, we're doing a good thing. There's a real reason behind this. We're protecting lives We're saving lives. The one saving grace to all of this was that tactically, we were protecting people. Tactically, we were finding devices, calling out people like Joe that we've had on the podcast before to deactivate and remove those devices. And so in a lot of circumstances, there was an opportunity to, to to connect what we were doing to to you know life-saving activity but but in other circumstances there absolutely is the opposite and we were you know deliberately going out to cause destruction and and that weighs heavy and so that loneliness of command the two examples the Norway example and your your example of the new business are moments where you suddenly feel it whereas this example in in Afghanistan was a compounding effect
1: I was about to say i, I presume it's a cumulative
0: yeah I
1: mean we should stop for a break in a second but I'd love to understand how you dealt with that and I I just want to again it's always when we have these conversations it's interesting to sort of read these things back it is difficult sometimes to do the right thing and when you do the right thing but it is difficult that will take a toll and and I, I as we were talking i have a third category and rather than it be a story it's a category i've been unfortunate enough to have to do this which is redundancies you know redundancies is doing doing a difficult thing for the right reason it is the right thing for the business and it is the right thing for the people who are remaining but nevertheless it is a very difficult thing this is really really important which is it would be easy to think that loneliness of command simply by the sort of the description is a military thing. And of course, when you are sending out people to harm, that is difficult, but actually I think the loneliness of command, more people feel that than you might imagine it. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be under gunfire to your point, the feeling you described as sort of want, wanting the earth to swallow you up, the blood's beating you know, you 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 have cold sweats. That's ve- that was very real. That's what I felt. Why are we talking about all of this? This is normal. Yeah. If you feel lonely, there is no point feeling embarrassed about feeling lonely. This is a very normal thing to happen. So we we've we've touched, I think, on a couple of episodes in various ways on mental health.
0: You it's have hard. to deal with of being put in a in a difficult position, and leadership is by its nature a difficult thing where you're sort of being slightly tentative about comparing military to to business examples I wouldn't worry about that because different people's experiences are are, you know different but the the lessons we draw the comparisons we can make are, are still extremely valid and of course we've talked about the the stress factor before and and we said that stress is stress you know whether you're in Afghanistan, making life and death decisions, or whether you're in a business making business decisions, if you physiologically feel the stress, you physiologically feel the stress. So uh, I'm not too worried about that. The the third example I think is is quite interesting because there's two there's two aspects to it, and this is where I uh, I refused an order because I didn't think it was a lawful order, and this is interesting because suddenly. I'm in a position where I need to protect the people in my charge, and I have now effectively severed the the security of the command above me because I have directly gone against what they've asked me to do. But interestingly, I've also highlighted to somebody that I think what they've asked me to do is wrong. And... So from their perspective, and and I had a very good conversation with this commander, and I'll talk about the example in a moment, after the fact, and it became very, very clear that they were in a very difficult position and they made a call. In hindsight, it was obvious that that probably wasn't the right call to make. But at the time, this was a captain of a warship on a bridge, and everybody on that ship was expecting him to be in charge and make the calls, And he was decisive and made a call. And then I questioned it. And then there was a very, very awkward conversation. So this was when I was doing counter piracy. And we had boarded a vessel, cleared and searched the vessel, gone through all those uh, things that we talked about before on on a previous episode. And we were in a position where we were about to let these guys go. So we had a, a group of Somali probably pirates, but we had no absolute proof. They were pirates. They had homemade ladders. They had Kalashnikovs. But we didn't have proof. And so we were in a situation where we had destroyed the ladders, ditched all their weapons in the ocean, but we were left with the fact that we had to release them. And what we wanted to do was to release them so that they couldn't... We we could disrupt their operations as much as we legally could. And so what we were going to do was send them on their way in one of their little boats with enough fuel to get back to Somalia. And so I was ordered to destroy the rest of their fuel. The problem was they had a diesel-powered boat and a petrol-powered boat, and effectively I was told to leave them some diesel to get back, but leave them on the petrol-powered boat. You don't have to be an engineer to know that that's not going to work. I thought about it for a minute and was like, well, that's basically sentencing these guys to death because they're going to be left in the middle of the ocean with a broken engine and they're going to be in the heat of the Indian Ocean until they die or are rescued by somebody else. But but I can't leave them in this position. So I said no. And that started a whole conversation. And the initial reaction from the commander was, was anger. And the initial reaction was, just get on with it. Just do what you're told. This is the military. I've given you an order. But very, very quickly, I think he realised and and the the conversation moved on and we came up with a solution. But for me at that moment, I had what I saw as a duty of care to my team, a duty of care to these Somalis that were in my charge at that moment. And my God, it felt lonely being on a tiny little skiff in the middle of the Indian Ocean with this giant warship. You know, looming down upon me from 50 metres away knowing that the person that I report to the commander of the ship that I'm going to be on for the next four or five months is probably pretty angry, is on the bridge of that ship, the whole ship is watching what's happening everybody on the bridge is listening to what's happening, this is the focus and I've just I've just said no and I felt very very lonely at that point i knew i was doing the right thing and that i think gave me the crutch that you did
1: well I, as you were saying that i don't know whether you've sort of thought about this i wonder whether that captain felt the loneliness of
0: command oh, well that's one of the be- points be- i want to make he absolutely did and and in after the fact several hours later after the mission and we resolved that problem and he very very quickly realized you know calm down and then we worked through the problem and And after the fact we discussed it and and he was talking about the fact that he's not been faced with that situation before and he made a call and then as you say everybody's looking at him he's the captain of the ship he's got to carry on commanding that ship and i've just called him out on something that very quickly he knows he was wrong well and... let's
1: let's t- let's talk about some other things that i think amplify that kind of situation and 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 obviously this will be relevant to a warship but i think what we're teasing out is what what exacerbates these things what makes them worse and i would suggest that think about this you are in a constrained space with a number of people in a high stress situation yeah and so therefore I I can completely imagine this idea of this officer is disobeying a command, which is on the face of it, what this was. This is a highly stressful loneliness of command situation. There is a risk that the rest of my crew who need to follow me and need to listen will now say, well, what an idiot.
0: And it's important that you can carry on as a team. And of course, the ship, as you as you point out, the ship has to carry on. The commander has to stay in charge. He is the captain of the ship. Can I just make the point? The commander and I had a very deep conversation after this. Firstly, while I was still on the pirate skiff, while he was still on the bridge, he, he very quickly recognised that this was a more complex problem than he had perhaps perceived. He rescinded that order, and then we worked through the problem. In the discussions afterward, he showed absolute humility. We had a very deep conversation and it strengthened our command relationship going forward. He trusted me more. I trusted him more. It meant I could be more open. And going forward, we continue to have a very, very good working relationship. He also made a a statement as part of his command update to the ship's company about what had happened and showed a level of vulnerability and a level of humility that was appropriate that he maintained the authority of his command whilst showing that this is not absolute and that there is the ability to, in the right circumstances, question. I I think he very, very tactfully did that and showed extraordinary leadership in turning around what was a ultimately, in the heat of the moment, a bad call. So I think I'm not gonna mention him or the ship's name or anything because there's no need. But I think if people are listening to this, I also want them to reflect on the fact that this is not a criticism of the man, not a criticism of his leadership over time. It is simply a mistake that he made in the heat of the moment and we're all fallible. And he showed extraordinary courage and leadership in recovering from that
1: the first thing that really strikes me from this is that trust and credibility are so important from a leader's perspective so as a leader i suspect that was an incredibly powerful statement to his own team not just in terms of we will all make mistakes and success is when we understand and react to them is when we trust each other when we're honest with each other and we understand that the successful outcome of the mission is paramount
0: now is probably a good time to uh, take a quick break and then when we come back i think i'd I'd like to explore how we can mitigate because i don't think we can remove the loneliness of command but certainly what we can do to to mitigate it and to and to deal with it and cope with it
1: welcome back this affects all of us but what we'd said at the end of just before we went on the break was let's start talking about how you deal with that what what are them if you're that person that's starting to get that cold sweat down your back or, or that that familiar feeling of your heart beating against your chest actually what are the strategies and what are the ideas that we can do to ease that and start to sort of get yourself out of that period into a more comfortable leadership so Gareth, what, what's what, what's your take on how you've done some of this, and where do you think where do you start when you think about this?
0: It's difficult, of course, because when you're talking about people's emotional reactions to the situations they find themselves in, it becomes a very individual and personal story. But I think one of the things we've talked about in the past, and we've highlighted in several of our episodes, is the the value of people in positions of authority, leaders, managers, having trusted relationships and the ability to found out ideas, the idea around having sounding boards. And we talked with Pia about the role of mentors and we talked with Ian about the role of padres in a very military context, being able to allow commanders to to really sanity check what what they're thinking, what they're planning, what they're doing, and I think that's not always feasible, of course. But if you can, that's a very very good way of making sure that the situation when you when you feel you know that that heartbeat, that tunnel vision, that absolute fear, somebody can check you there and say it, it's not that bad. Um, I, I was going
1: to say, I think there's, there's, there's a, and as I was thinking about this before we came on today, I think there's a couple of categories. The first thing is other people, unsurprisingly, are the solution to some degree about that, that loneliness of command. And, and what you talked about was there is a group of peers where you can talk about that in whatever form. And, you know, you talked about Padre. But also, For me, there is the people around you can be your team as well. So there's, and and obviously each one is a little bit different where you behave and think a little bit differently. When it's a peer, you can tell them how you're feeling. You can tell them there's no need to filter with your team. Actually, it's a different relationship. With With the team, it is more, right, guys, this is our problem to solve. And I think that's the really important thing, rather than it being all about me, it's all about us. What are we going to do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that we talked about that with mentors, didn't we? And we said, you know, the mentor doesn't necessarily or the coach doesn't necessarily have to have the best ideas or the advice. They can simply, as a, as a peer relationship, they can look at it objectively when you are looking at it subjectively, when you're feeling the pressure, when you're feeling the emotion they can look at it from a different perspective and, and that's a very very useful thing to have i think in addition to that the the support network is much wider than that of course and building a support network and, and using that support network is incredibly powerful so while i talked about the the compounding effects of having to make difficult decisions and having to tell people to do difficult things whilst i was in afghanistan and i mentioned that i was writing home now of course, I was in a very remote location and communication was difficult. So I didn't have necessarily a a whole load of support network that I could rely on. But I was writing letters and occasionally I was getting letters back. Occasionally I would get a, a very short 10 or 15 minute phone call, but not very often. But the actual act of writing the problems down, writing to my parents, writing to my friends, who are external to the environment, and also keeping a diary. So I I kept a very detailed diary for posterity reasons, for in case there was ever a a need to review what was happening, but also for my own mental health. And you can write in a private diary feelings and emotions and thoughts that you perhaps don't want to say out loud, that you don't want to talk about in public. But that's a very cathartic exercise that you are utilising to exercise those demons and to sort of mitigate some of those uh, emotional pressures.
1: I'm a, I'm a real advocate of sometimes you have to say the words out loud, either metaphorically or on paper or out loud. But you, I mean, maybe this is a bit too literal, but for my brain to process it, yeah. to stand to to, to write down... I don't know what to do, or I am worried. As you say, cathartic, I think, is true. Good, I've got that thought out of my head. Now I can move on. So I I think that's incredibly powerful. I was in London yesterday. I caught up with a friend of mine in London, who is also a VP of product. And we spent an hour with a beer in our hands saying, what's going on in your world? That, That was that idea of peers where, oh, A, you can talk to me because I understand your problem and I'm not going to judge B you're talking to me and I'm giving you the benefit of my experience. Oh, we, we had that. And this is what we did. And it didn't work. So don't do that. Or, well, we did this and this seemed to work that, you know, whether it's, whether it's a, a a diary, whether it's having a beer with someone who is a peer, but neutral as it were, or whether it's just getting a bunch of you together that can be incredibly powerful because if nothing else, oh, that's not just me. I thought I thought I was an idiot. I thought I'd done something wrong. Oh, it it turns out that's happened to all of us. That's a very very powerful way of, as you say, building networks.
0: Yeah, I think there's a an additional point that this kind of leads on to as well, which is doing that with with your team. So there's clearly a time where you need an external voice of reason or an external objective perspective, or you just need to, you know, vent and share your frustrations or, or or challenges. But also if you think about my Norway example, we now know in hindsight, that actually asking the team for help isn't the end of the world problem that I thought it was. So there's a big factor in this, which is about communication. And a lot of the pressure that builds up that creates this seeming, you know, isolation and, and loneliness is about feeling that other people are resenting the decisions you're making or not understanding the decisions you're making or, or judging, even judging the decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you can explain the reasoning behind difficult decisions. And treat people with respect, then you you encourage sort of open communication, you foster an environment where you can you can seek support, you can be the person who says, as you said earlier, you know, I don't know the answer. Now I recognize it's my responsibility to find the answer, but we're gonna do that collectively as a team. Or if you do know the answer but it's not comfortable, and you talked about the example of of having to you know, having to fire people or explaining the reasoning behind it, explaining the the honest belief as to why you think it is in the in the greater interest of the organisation. It might not still be in the best interest of the individual, but if there's a logical reason behind it, people are generally better at dealing with bad news if they can see the reasoning if they can see the logic and having that open discussion might result in that person arguing with you. It might result in that person getting upset, but it's better than them going away and feeling those negative feelings in, in their own space uh, and then, and uh, you know, letting that build up and and actually clearing the air is a really, really important part of this.
1: There's there's one to tag on there. Genuineness. Yes. So there's, if you stand there and say, you look the team in the eyes, you've clearly looked panicked and you say, there is nothing to worry about. It's going to be fine. They're like, oh my God, we're all going to die. But if you have the courage and the ability to say, you know what guys, this is a pretty sticky situation. I don't have a fabulous answer, but I genuinely believe that together we can do this. Now you've you've set the tone to say you've been vulnerable, this guy's being honest. I'm going to listen to I'm going to listen to his reasoning for why we're here, and actually, he he is genuinely here for us to sort of try and do something.
0: There's a um, there's a really nice kind of mantra, which if I find is slightly oversimplistic, and it's this idea of um, yeah you know, a leader it's really simple. You never ask people to do things that you wouldn't do yourself. And it's a lovely mantra. It's a lovely idea. And, and I agree with the sentiment of it. But we have to recognise that individuals have skills and talents. And we've talked about the value of diverse thinking and the value of diversity in teams. And we've talked about the fact that you know, there are individual skills and talents. That's why you can't do everything yourself. So there's an element of, whilst you're not going to ask people to do things that you wouldn't do on a on a perhaps moral level you're not going to get people to do your dirty work for you yeah there is absolutely asking people to do things you can't do yourself because you don't have the skills so I like to think of it more as a I would never ask somebody to do something that I wouldn't be prepared to do if I had the skills to do it rather than you know simply just I'm not gonna ask somebody to do something that I wouldn't do. But I think you have to justify why you're asking people to do things, especially when they're they're difficult, especially when there's moral hazard, especially when there's the potential for some quite significant negative results. And, And I think if you explain your reasoning, and it might not be there and then because there are circumstances where, of course, you just need people to get on with things and get things done. But as a general rule, if there is justification behind everything you ask people to do, then they, they trust that you are asking them to do things for the right reasons. And if you can clearly explain that, then people build that respect, they build that trust, and you you work collaboratively as a, as a team, even though you might have a superior subordinate relationship. And I think when you see really high-performing teams operate, really tight-knit groups, and in, in my experience, of course, that's, that's tactical teams in a in a military context, but just as uh, valid is, is the example of business teams working closely together, a lot of the trust, a lot of the understanding is implicit by that point. And people don't start to question every decision you've made because... They've been through this so many times before. And I think that comes down to this idea of communication. And so another mantra that people throw out is is, um, information is power. And for me, that is absolutely crucial. And if you want a team to work well, then you share that power. So you provide the information as often as you can. You keep people informed as to why, why decisions are being made. And that way, even when you're asking people to do difficult things, the trust is already there. And and if it has a negative result, if somebody has to make a sacrifice, they at least understand the logic behind it.
1: I mean, I think this, this point about trust, we've kind of bounced up against it and then bounced away is really important, which is you have to trust your team and your team have to trust you. And so all these things we've talked about to some degree, they're building trust. And I, I, I've I've got one literally this week, which was quite interesting. And it, it ties into the don't ask people to do things you're not willing to do. So there's an activity that as it happens, this is very unusual, but it needs to be on certain occasion. It needs to be done manually late at night and early the next morning it's updating of software and someone needs to manually turn something on and turn something off. And I, you know, it's important that I don't just say, right, you lot, people who work for me, you have to do these things at night occasionally. And so it was important that I've done them. So actually I've done it the last few times. And by the way, I'm very sensitive to things I should be doing and things I shouldn't be doing for effectiveness. But this was one of those It's important that I demonstrate that I'm willing to do that. And what was really interesting is this particular weekend, the same thing needs to happen and I can't. And what was really nice was there was a conversation between my team members, my leadership team, and they said, oh, who who normally does it? And someone replied, well, well, Chris has done it the last few times. And that was a, a powerful moment where the team witnessed that world of he's not going to ask us to do something he wouldn't do himself and it's another one of those things that builds the trust exactly to your point where if chris then says i need you guys to do this thing for me even if they don't understand it even if they're nervous about it they the points of reference they had it have is he's honest he's credible he's consistent and actually we have evidence that he wouldn't ask us to do something he wouldn't do. Even if I don't have all the information on balance, I'm gonna go do that and then we work it out. And that, if I don't have that, okay, that's when loneliness of command comes. But actually yeah. the fact that you can build that, it's another one of these things that- That, that
0: resonates with, with me completely. One of, one of the things i I really proud of in in the royal marines is the fact that institutionally we build that in and i think i've mentioned this before but what one of the things that defines the royal marines is uh is our commando role and and with that the the green beret that comes with it you earn that green beret by by doing certain tests the commando tests and they haven't changed since the inception of the commandos in in the Second World War. And what I really, really like is that officers, when they go through training, have to do the commando test either in a faster time or in a slightly more challenging environment so that as the recruits go through their training and do their commando tests, they know that the people who are leading them have done the same and more and then every NCO command uh, command and leadership course, every promotion course comes with additional challenge Um, and so if you are a physical training instructor for example there is nothing physically harder in terms of PT sessions and being thrashed around bottom field than going on the PT twos course where you're going to be a corporal who's in charge of running PT sessions. So you get much, much harder phys sessions as a aspiring PTI than you're ever going to dish out to recruits in training. And so there's this just built into this system a and it's part of the culture that we know that people that are asking us to do stuff can do it, they wear the badge to show they can do it, mm-hmm. and they've probably done it harder than they're asking you to do it right now. Um, and it, I, as you were talking then about your team uh, recognizing that you're doing things, and and you're suddenly asking them to do something um, that you can't do because you're you know, busy that weekend, and then they recognize that you're you're the one who normally does it. The the scene in Band of Brothers. Now, I don't know whether this particular bit of Banner Brothers is hypocritical or or whether it actually happened, but there's a a, a scene where Dick Winters is in the pub and he watches one of the other officers playing darts with the men. And this other officer tricks them into, uh, or tricks the people he's playing against by playing with the wrong hand. And then they're betting for money. And then he suddenly goes, oh, I'm playing with the wrong hand and then wins the game, and, and Dick Winters takes him to one side and says, don't do that, uh, and there's a bit of confusion because the guy the guy says, are, are, are you ticked because they like me? And he says something that I think is, and, and I hope it's true, it might be hypocritical, but really profound, because he says, never put yourself in a position where you can take from these men, and that's profound because there are going to be times where you need to ask them to do things, you are going to be taking from them, but you're doing it as part of the mission and if you never put yourself in a position where you're asking them to do things for your own benefit i was going so to say you- it's
1: the it's the, it's it's weird you're asking them to do something but it's selfless in other words i am not asking you to do something for my betterment i'm asking you to do something from a from a selfless perspective to ensure that we succeed in our mission whatever that mission is
0: absolutely and i and i think bringing this back to loneliness of command because of course we've kind of derailed slightly and now we're just talking about leadership more generally but but i think if you start to build these relationships build these behaviors asking people to do difficult things becomes a lot easier and it feels a lot less lonely because as we've talked about it's the fear of being judged that creates a lot of these problems. Um, I think my final point on this would be working out the balance of working for the team, working for the individuals, and working for yourself. So prioritising self-care, balancing workloads, and this is a really, really tricky thing. If you've got the loneliness of command, if you're feeling the pressure, the last thing that feels comfortable is to say you know i need some time off or i need to invest in my own self-worth or i need to spend more time with my family but of course these things compound over time and if you don't do that if you don't take the time for your own self-care then you're going to get to the point where you break and we talked about in a very early episode um the effects of stress and, and tiredness on your ability to make good decisions. And I talked about how you know, very good generals, very good commanders, literally say, right, I am having eight hours in forced rest, so you only wake me if there is a threat to life.
1: I say that to my wife on a regular basis. She doesn't, <laughs> she's not willing to accept this as a genuine reason to leave me in bed. <laughs>
0: being able to recognize your own vulnerability being able to protect that being able to balance you know work life being able to you know, recognize that vulnerability before it becomes something that get exposed to the people you're leading by the fact that you're struggling is a really really important aspect of leadership and and it it comes down to what I would call self-leadership The ability to see yourself as part of the team and to see yourself as a a functioning unit within that team that needs to function and therefore part of supporting that team is also supporting yourself and that's very very different from that taking from the team to you for your own for your own gratification or for your own advantage this is being selfish for a selfless reason, which sounds like no, no, a dog. No,
1: it's, no, no, no. But it's it's absolutely right. And and even the thing that makes it tricky is often when you feel the loneliness of command most, it is when you're in the most stressful situation. And when you're in the most stressful situations, by definition, you are less likely to make good decisions. So there is an area there. And um, my my last thought that I want to throw in something that we haven't talked about, and it's it's not a thing that you can do for yourself but frankly experience so yep. w- a lot of the examples that we have given certainly a couple that I've given they are they are based around novelty this is the first time this has happened whether it's I'm a young leader this is the first time I've done this you, you, you in a sense you can't practice it but the thing about experience is you start to train yourself to say I needed to get more sleep. I needed to look after myself more or actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down with a team and I'm going to say, guys, I need your help because this is what we've got to go and do. So this is less about a technique you can use and more about if you're that person that's feeling those symptoms we've talked about, actually one one bit of news to give you, give you hope is actually the first few times that happens, it's going to feel uncomfortable. And then – it's never going to feel not uncomfortable, but actually you, you, you start to build familiarity and you start to build back that ability to make better decisions, the confidence that I did that once before, and I said to them, I need your help, and they didn't laugh at me or they didn't run away going, you're a terrible leader. Okay, I can do that again. So experience is another one of those things which you can take and use, and I think that that can really help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I, I look at myself having done 20 years of being a commissioned officer in the Royal Marines and then over the last few years sort of consulting around decision making and, and looking at organisational cultures and teams. I want to go and give me 10, 15, 20 years ago tips and advice on things that I've learned recognizing the the value of experience is is really important. And, And so I do think there's a final point here, which is loneliness of command doesn't have to be an individual problem. And so recognizing as a leader that beneath you, everybody else is also a leader and everybody else is going to be feeling in their own way, in their own context, their own loneliness, their own stress, their own pressure. They'll be making difficult decisions. And one of the things you can do is to empathize with that, to recognize and to enable people to mature, develop and grow without adding additional stress and without without forcing those kind of situations. And so just by being an empathetic leader and recognizing that people don't necessarily have the experience that you've had and that other people have more experience than you have, you can start to mitigate the effects of the loneliness of command in others. And I think if we all do that, then collectively as a team, we're all gonna work slightly more effectively.
1: I think that's well said and probably a good place for us to stop. Uh, You know where we are? We're on the platform formerly known as Twitter, at Battling with Biz. We're at battlingwithbusiness at gmail.com tell your friends. If you're new to the podcast, uh, we have 30 or even 40 episodes now recorded. So please go back and take a look at some of the earlier ones. Share with your friends. But I think for the moment that gives us a good place to stop. Gareth, thank you very much. Um, I hope you have fun and it's yet to snow in Ontario. I will now move off from the car park before the police want to know why I'm hanging around talking to myself in a car.
0: Wonderful. Well, well, thank you. I think that was a, a really uh, enlightening conversation and, and really interesting. So thank you, Griff. Um, and yeah, uh, that's it from me here in Canada. So cheerio. I'll speak to you and, soon.
1: And cheerio for me. Bye-bye. <laughs>